We're in our, the third part of our series, and it is um, why we do what we do. And we're just looking, in summary, at some of the practices that we engage in, some of the, the basics um, that we can very easily take for granted and become used to doing or very familiar with, and then very easily lose the heart and soul, the essence of it. It can happen in any relationship. A few weeks ago, I was saying that I was at a wedding, and uh, I was in the Blue Mountains in just uh, west of Sydney, and I said to the guy at the bar, oh my goodness, you get to be here, look at this phenomenal view, and he stopped and went, oh yeah, and I was like, how long have you been working here? And he's been working there for nearly a decade, and he's taken it for granted. We can do that with the people we're in relationship with. It could be our children, it could be our partner, it could be uh, our parents, it can be anyone significant in our life, it can be any practice that has, has a really important purpose and meaning in our life, and then we can kind of lose or become so familiar, familiar with it that we actually don't um, engage or um, utilize what's the beauty of what that is all about. So today we're going to be talking about why do we pray? Why do we pray? One of the kind of most common, obvious things you would think in church life, when people think about church, what's one of the things they might think? Well, it'd be kind of scary to ask people what they think. But one of those things could be that, oh, well, that's where people pray. Or that's a community that prays. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1, we read uh, the story, which is really the second account where Jesus gives what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's better probably understood as the disciples' prayer. The prayer that the disciples were to learn and understand. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John has taught his disciples. And this is an, an account where you have one of Jesus' disciples coming to him saying, we want to know how to pray the way you pray. Prayer, for so many people, is this kind of mystery. It's this kind of confusing thing. What's it for? Who gets to do it? Who's good at doing it? Who's not so good at doing it? How do you learn to master it? What types of prayers are the prayers that seem to get God's attention? How do you have to pray if you want to see a miracle in your life? Is there a Reason why some people seem to get their prayers answered and other people don't. What's that all about? And there's a fair bit of complexity, and we're not going to tackle all of that today um, over the next hour and a half while I share with you. That's way shorter than how long Paul used to preach for. When Paul preached, people fell out the window asleep, and they had to raise him from the dead. So anyway, we won't be an hour and a half, but you never know. For some people, when we talk about prayer, prayer is a chore. Now, I don't know what your experience with prayer has been or how you grew up understanding prayer, whether you're new to faith and so you're trying to get your head around what that looks like, or whether you're someone that would consider yourself a prayer warrior or a prayer master or a prayer ninja. When I grew up, I wanted to be all of those things. When I was a kid... I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and there was a guest preacher that was coming to town in Sydney, 
and his name was Dr. Yongi Cho. Hmm, you've heard of him. And he was from South Korea, and he at the time led the world's largest church, and he was doing a prayer conference, and it was happening at a big event in Sydney, and then he was speaking at the church where I was, and I remember being very upset because I didn't get to go with my dad to the big event that was happening at this massive uh, conference center. And uh, when I came back, I asked my dad, I said, oh, what happened? What was it all about? And my dad was saying, oh, it was amazing. We learned all about prayer and all the different types of prayer. And so I was asking my dad to teach me things. But what happened in my actual reality was I had this desire to want to experience prayer in the way that I heard people talk about prayer. But the reality was my actual experience seemed nothing like what everyone else was talking about the experience they were having. Now, you could relate this to lots of different things in life. I want my marriage to be like how that couple talks about their marriage. You know what I've realized? Most things aren't always as amazing as what they really, like in actual fact, for everybody else is what, they, what you think they are. Because we share the highlight reels of our life. We do it on social media. We do it when we're in conversation with people because we want to encourage people. We, want to, we don't want to tell a young person when they talk to us about prayer, oh, to be honest, the last couple of times I prayed, I didn't feel anything, wasn't quite sure what was happening, and I was so distracted, I don't know if it was of any benefit whatsoever, and it didn't seem like God answered my prayer. We're not going to say that. Because they'll be like, oh, what do I want to pray? And so the gap between our experience and what we're told prayer can be can often feel like, like a great disconnect. So we can become discouraged. And I think what ultimately happens is we end up walking away from something that we didn't really truly understand its purpose in the first place. We're actually building our idea of prayer off somebody else's experience rather than Scripture, rather than the great Rabbi Jesus, our great teacher, our Lord, our Master, the Messiah. And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning because my experience growing up was that, A, I already had a battle of trying to be focused. I was easily distracted when it came to prayer. So I'd start praying what I thought I should be praying, and it was going through the list of who I should be praying for, this sometimes is called intercessory prayer, when we pray on behalf of others. And then it was praying, we, we, we learned this acronym when I was in youth group called ACTS. Some of you may have heard of it, A-C-T-S. And we remembered it because there's a book in the Bible called the book of Acts. So A stood for adoration, you came to the same youth group. C stood for confession. T stood for, and S stood for Oh, went a bit quieter on the last one there. And I never knew what supplication was. And uh, until, because uh, I didn't want to ask and look dumb, but eventually I heard someone preach and talk about uh, supplication as our requests, you know, expressing. So the idea was that would help me a little bit in being a little bit focused, but only lasted like four minutes. So I just, and then it ended up being how fast could I, could I run through the four, tick them off and go, phew, I did it. And then when I went to youth group on the weekend, I could go, yeah, I had a quiet time this week. Yeah, I'm in good relationship with God. And it ended up becoming this tick the box thing, this formula, this system, this feeling like I'm in right relationship with God 
which ultimately ended up becoming a lesson in, in missing the point. Because it ended up becoming a burden and a chore and something I looked at everybody else and thought, what's wrong with me? Now try and work that out when you go to Bible college to prepare to become a pastor and you're thinking, am I a total hoax? Because I am not very good at prayer and I'm going to learn how to teach people to pray. So that can become very conflicting and confusing. But by the grace of God, I learned that prayer is so much better than what I picked up from different people's stories and experiences and then tried to relate to my own life that it could be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, which is the first account we have in the Gospels of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, when you pray, Matthew five verse, uh, 6 verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. First thing I want to mention here is this. Prayer is not to impress others. Now, when Jesus is speaking to this, he's speaking into a culture where prayer has been closely aligned to one's piety, to one's religious status, to where one fits in the order of the religious system that they find themselves in. And if you think that's only something that happened back in those days in the religious system that Jesus was in, man, it happens in subtle ways today. When I was a young adult, I would go along to prayer meetings and it was just a modern day contemporary version of it where we'd all get together in a prayer circle to pray and it was a battle of who prayed the loudest, the cleverest, the most profound, the most passionate and it just kept going up and up and up until I was like, oh no, I should have started off sooner. I could have started off down here and then got my part out as like better and better prayers got delivered. Until I, but, but if you missed your, your chance to jump in early, it was like, oh man, I'm bailing out. It's like, phew. No, this is past my pay prayer grade. I cannot compete with that. And it was just like, now, some of you may have grown up in different type church backgrounds, but that was the experience I had. So it almost became stressful. I think that's not the point. It's not about trying to see who, it, who is it that is going to notice when we pray. One of the most amazing things that ever happened to me at a youth conference was when I was a young youth pastor and we had a prayer time after this night and we were outside and one of the young guys that was with us was brand new to our faith and our youth group and everyone's praying and he just got, he just expressed his heart fully to God and he just starts going, oh God, I'm just so bleep grateful that you're in my life. And everyone in the circle kind of went, oh. Even I was a bit like, and it was like a moment of amazing beauty and raw honesty, and then going, hang on a sec, are you allowed to say that? Do you both get lifted up by God and smited at the same time? Is it like, is it like a, I don't know. But what I walked away realizing was the God of grace doesn't judge us 
by the way we say something expressed because he's interested in our, the relationship we have with him. It became an amazing thing. In the next verse, verse 7, it says, When you pray, Jesus says, Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for, the, for your Father knows exactly, and this is a fascinating line Jesus says, your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. When I reflect on this, I think prayer is not to get God's attention. Sometimes we operate in the world a little bit like what Dan Geddes was talking about last week. We have a history throughout society in the ages where in the ancient Near East, there was this idea that you had to perform certain things to try and get the favor or the attention of the gods, and you were never quite sure which gods or who was going to be responsible for what thing so that the rain would come down on your crops or that you would be safe from plagues. And that same idea is carried right through, I believe, every aspect of society and religion. This idea that we don't quite understand in the mystery of this world and this universe why things happen the way they do. So we find ourselves sometimes in a state of spiritual anxiety where we're trying to work out how to get God's attention. And if that's been your framework, then we get to be liberated and free from that today. Because Jesus is telling us Following a formula, following a system is not what gets God's attention. Prayer is not to inform God. Sometimes we think, God, I don't know if you've, I haven't prayed to you for a week or two or a few years. Um, so I don't know if you remember me, but here I am again, struggling me. And just want to try and see if we could start off again. It's a new term. I've got some new supplies i got a Bible, a notebook, a pen. I'm going to try and do this Christian thing again properly and seriously this time. I used to do this all the time. I'd go to the Christian bookstore to buy the one-year Bible to go, God, this year is the year. I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to follow the plan because I didn't do very good just doing jumping around scriptures, just trying to highlight the ones I like and not sure what to do with large slabs of the ones I had no idea what they meant or all the lists of names. I wasn't sure what God was trying to say to me through that. Prayer is not to inform God. We're not going to tell God something new that He doesn't already know. Jesus has pointed this out. He knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So what's the point of prayer then, is the question. Well, then Jesus, and we'll get to that, Jesus says, instead, I want you to pray like this. So He says the words, Our Father in heaven, may Your name be kept holy. May Your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't lead us in, don't lead us, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. There's a whole bunch of gold just in this little prayer that Jesus invites his disciples to pray as they ask him, well, how do we pray? What's your prayer look like? What's the purpose of prayer? I'm going to unpack that in a moment. But interestingly, this prayer that Jesus gives his disciples to pray, not all of it 
would have been completely unique and new to his disciples to hear. As a matter of fact, there's a Jewish prayer, the Kaddish or the Kaddish, uh, spelt two different ways up there. I've just said it as if that's two different words. It's the same word, just spelt differently. And this prayer was a prayer that Jewish people would pray very often in times of mourning and oftentimes in a corporate dynamic. But the prayer goes like this, exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in your lifetime of the whole of Israel, speedily and soon. Praised be his great name from eternity to eternity and to this say, Amen. When Jesus comes to his disciples, as he so often does with many of his sayings, he brings it with a fresh twist. He brings it with a fresh angle. He takes often teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures and he presents it in a fresh way that makes it come alive to his disciples and his listeners. And in this context, what becomes unique in comparison to this particular prayer is that the prayer begins, exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he begins by using the words, our Father. This is a unique prayer because when Jesus is speaking and teaching his disciples how to pray, he wants them to understand that prayer is not a formula to master, but a person to encounter. And I wish I knew that fully, even though I knew it in part growing up. Because so often, and I'm not suggesting the Bible teachers were teaching it, but what I picked up from the practices and the stories and the things that I heard people say in my childhood growing up was, if you pray this way, if you pray like this, if you pray for this long, if you go to this type of place, if you follow this system you'll have breakthrough in your life or you'll see miracles unfold or you'll experience God in a more dynamic way. And in this context, Jesus begins by saying, I want you to understand, and he doesn't use the word my father, he says our father. He's not saying this is my father and you have to try and work out how to get to know my father. He's saying this is our father. Now, Just saying that phrase is so complicated because the whole dynamic of using God in a parental form comes with it with some baggage and some challenges because as we often make reference on Father's Day or on Mother's Day, some of us have had horrendous experiences with our parents. I never had to wrestle with this because I have a good relationship with my dad. But as a pastor over the years, I've sat with so many people who have told me stories about either the father relationship they had that was very distant or a father relationship that was completely absent, meaning they didn't know their father, or a dysfunctional, um, violent, controlling relationship that their father had with them that when we talk about Father, that brings up an emotional or a visceral response in people 
that Jesus would never want as the intention of this prayer to be the thing that separates you from being able to experience the presence of God in your life. And I would say that you are free to go on a journey that looks like either coming to terms with the fact that you could pray our Father in heaven, knowing in your heart, emotionally, mentally, that the Father that Jesus is speaking about, this good, holy, wonderful parent, divine being, is for you and has always been for you and loves you, and that love is unconditional and is not like your humanly, your human father. And for some people, they can make that connection and they find peace in that. For some other people, and we need to have compassion and grace and understanding to one that some people just can't say those words. And I would say to you, be free to understand that when Jesus says the words, our Father, He just wants us to know that God is a relational God. He is a person in which we can come and we can say, and as in, in the Greek and Hebrew, Abba, dear Father. Some people say, Daddy might be the literal translation today. In other words, there's an intimacy about this relationship with God that is so different to often the ideas that people had in Jesus' day that the gods were far off and distant and you had to try and come up with some way, some formula or system to try and get their attention and get them to act on your behalf. But then when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he's trying to liberate them and say, you need to understand That when I pray, and the way I'm inviting you to pray, is to understand that God is relational and wants to have relationship with you. And that's one of the first liberating things that we need to come to terms with. Prayer is not a formula to master, but a person to encounter. And so much of this comes down to the question of, who do you see God as? For some of us, we've grown up with images of God and sometimes we interplay them between the right image that Jesus gives us of what God is like, a beautiful picture of God, and and we interplay that between all these other pictures and images we have of God. Like sometimes we relate to God as Santa Claus God. It all comes down to if you're naughty or nice. And, And sometimes I wonder if we kind of reinforce that when we're teaching our kids these like you know, fables and stories and myths and that. And we, like, we play this game with our kids. Oh, we've even got a nap. Santa's ringing. It's going to let you know how you're going. It's been quite effective at certain times. And sometimes these frameworks are effective to get certain behaviors, but they cannot be on the level of the goodness and the grace and mercy of a wonderful relational God who's nothing like that. The God revealed in Christ that we see in Scripture is the God who does not choose to give or provide or be with you on the basis of whether you're good or you're naughty or you're nice or any of those dynamics. It's on the basis of He loves us as His children. So when we hear the phrase, our Father, we can even understand that what, God is, what Jesus is inviting us to understand is our position as children. We are God's children, and we get to come and bring our full selves. And we can just say, as our kids so often say, 
I mean, I love, and I don't know what, at what point it changes when your kids just go, I want this, can I get that? How about that? I love this. To then they become super sophisticated and they're thinking, got to think of the right time to ask, got to think the right way to ask, you know, and there's like that shift that takes place. And that can follow us in our spiritual walk. Sometimes we think of God as the genie God. I've only got three chances. We've got three wishes. Or like, let's be honest, when you think of God in heaven on a throne, how many people still, as much as you know it's not the accurate true thing and it's just a picture, you still have the image in your head as an old man sitting on a throne? Can I just get an honest show of hands? Honestly, I keep trying to put it aside, but it keeps coming up in my head. I see the picture all the time. He's a nice old man. He's got a big, long, gray beard, something like Gandalf out of Lord of the Rings. I think that's where they got it from. And uh, I'm just, I, it's still in my head. Sometimes we think of God as distant or angry. Or the common one these days is that God is a force. May the force be with you. It's one of my favorite sayings, but I don't think that's God necessarily. Because Jesus wants us to understand God as a rela- relational person that we can have relationship with, rather than just some mist that kind of like moves around, we can either see it or can't see it. And that's not to acknowledge that there isn't a mystery to God, because let's be clear, when Jesus says, God our Father, He is not saying God is male. And He's not saying God is female. God is beyond male and female. God is spirit. But we have these images to help us try to make sense of that relational aspect that Jesus is inviting us into. And that's really important to understand. When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, that phrase is unique. In heaven? Because some of us, again, can think, oh, in heaven, that place far out, which gets weirder the more we learn about how big the universe is. And it is, if you haven't noticed, it is massive. So I'm like, how far away is heaven? Like, that's pretty crazy. If you get to go to heaven after you die, you're just like, and the universe keeps expanding. So it's like the first people was like a quick visit to heaven, and now it takes a little bit longer to actually get there. Now that's, <laughs> see, you guys are getting a taste of the crazy, what? I struggle with the stuff in here. My brain is like a little weird. My wife said, you are a little bit eccentric. Not a little bit, she said. <laughs> But when we hear the word heaven, we often think of heaven in the context of something far out there, when in fact, when Jesus talks about heaven in this context, there's two different angles that we need to understand it in terms of the realm in which God is king and reigns and rules. But to understand that more like as the gap between what is our earth reality that we see and the unseen world around about us. As one author calls it, God is as near as the air that we breathe. Yesterday afternoon, I don't know what it is about the shower at the moment this week. Last week, Jacob was singing songs. Yesterday, kids were in the pool and then they're in the bathroom. And Sarai, a little evangelist, is leading Jacob to Jesus. And she's telling him the whole gospel story, most of which was, I was like, wow, that's great. A few little things we needed to clarify later. Um, because you pick up again all different bits and pieces of a story. And, uh, but she got to this part where Jacob's going, so when you go to heaven, like, will people, like, will you know me? And where will you be? Like, will you be back down here and I'll be like off a far away? And, and he's asking all these like huge questions that we all ask. And I think what we see clearer and clearer as we look at Jesus teaching on the gospel of the kingdom of heaven 
is that the kingdom of heaven is wherever God's realm is. God and heaven is here, heaven and earth. The vision of Scripture has always been that God is bringing heaven and earth together to become one. That's the grand story we get in the picture of the book of Revelation. So the invitation for us is to understand that God is the God of heaven, the realm that we cannot see in which we're saying we want to participate in seeing the goodness of God's realm, the place of shalom, of goodness, of wholeness, the way things are meant to be, actually collide and integrate and break into the world in which we live, which is what the heart of this prayer is all about. So when Jesus goes on and teaches his disciples and says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's an invitation not for God to say, cool, I'm going to work on keeping my name holy, but for us to actually participate in living our lives in such a way that God's name is seen as and experienced as holy, good, right, wonderful, perfect. So then Jesus is inviting us ultimately into a relationship. When we talk about what the purpose of prayer is, prayer ultimately, if you want to simplify it down, is two aspects. It's being with God, just like you might sit with a family member or a partner. It's being with God, our Father. And then it is being formed by God. This prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples is an invitation to them in which he says to them, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And he's inviting them to pray, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth, where we live, as it is in heaven. In other words, may the reality of heaven actually become the reality of your earthly experience, where you live and how you live. And before he invites them to pray a prayer of trust, which is one where we say, God, give us today what we need. In other words, we're putting ourselves in a position where we say, I trust that you will provide. And then we declare the truth of the fact that God forgives us, but also invites us to participate in the thing of heaven. The reality of heaven is that God forgives us, so we should forgive others. It's an invitation to not just be with God, but it's an invitation to be formed by God. And don't let us yield to temptation, to the things that of this world around about us are destructive and are the opposite or the antithesis of shalom. In other words, we get the choice every single day. Do we want to walk the path that causes harm and destruction to creation, to other people? Or do we want to join in as we pray, God, let this be reality in my life, that the way things are in your kingdom would be present in the world where I live, where I breathe, where I work, where I serve the people that I live with. And this is why Jesus invites us to pray like this, because he's inviting us to be with God and to be formed by God. Jesus says to us, that we should pray, may your will be done. There used to be an old song when I was a kid, and some of you will know this based on some of the responses earlier on from the message, that goes like this, in my life, Lord, be glorified. But when you put music to it, it goes like this, in my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. Does anyone know it? I hated that song when I was a kid. 
I thought, what a boring song. And one day, I was in my room playing guitar, and I started just strumming it and playing it and singing it. No one around, best thing ever, because you don't want to hear me singing. Guitar's not too bad, but the singing wasn't great. And I'm just belting out, God, in my life. Because my heart cries, I started to realize that, being, that prayer is about being with God and being formed by God. I started to realize, I'm not... I'm less now coming to God to say, can you get me the car that I want, the house that I want, the person that I really want to marry? And it's actually becoming far more, God, in my life, I want you to be glorified. In other words, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come in my life. May your will be done in my life. And so what ends up happening is I find myself living my life here and I say, Actually, I want to continually align myself back into alignment with the wonderful God, creator of the universe, and allow myself to be formed in His image more and more and more, so that the way I live my life brings blessing and honor, that when people look at my life and around about me and the community that I'm part of, they say, that is what the kingdom of heaven looks like increasingly. So as we finish today, my invitation to you is this. There's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. I didn't grow up with the Book of Common Prayer. In the tradition I grew up in, we prayed whatever we felt. And there's a moment for that that's wonderful and amazing because when you come before God, just like when you're being with God, you can express to God however you feel. You can tell God your frustrations, your anger, which is lament. The Psalms are full of it. You can pour your heart out to God. But when we pray like Jesus teaches his disciples, we know just like when you come before a good father, you can just be your true self. But we end up saying, but you know what? Oh, Father God, I want your kingdom to be at work in my life because that's a good thing. I want your will to be outworked in my life. That's a good thing. And when we find that, I'm telling you, your life starts to be formed and transformed. In prayer, I find myself when I walk and pray, which is the best thing for me, I walk, I, I'm with God. Sometimes I don't even say anything, but I just listen to the heartbeat of God as I pray this prayer of Jesus in my heart. And I hear God graciously say to me, hey, when you spoke to your wife yesterday afternoon, the way you did, that was a little bit, you know, not the kingdom of heaven. So prayer becomes a gift rather than a burden. I go like, oh, Yes, change my heart, shape me, form me. And the action out of that prayer by being with God is that I'm formed and I pick up the phone or I send the text message or I go and sit down and have a chat. And that's a beautiful thing when we practice this in our life, isn't it? I want to invite you to stand with me this morning and I'm going to say this prayer. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. This prayer says, O oh God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
the person that wrote this prayer understood the heartbeat of Jesus' prayer to his disciples. If prayers become dull and boring for you today, or up until today, then I want you to feel liberated and free to say, it might be a fresh chance for me to say, maybe I've been thinking about prayer wrong, in an unhelpful way. And maybe I need to come back to that simple place, like Jesus taught his disciples, of understanding prayer is about coming to be with God. Prayer is about coming to be formed by God. And however the mystery of how God answers our prayers, the ones he does, the ones he doesn't, the ones that he seems silent in, however that all works, of which we get to pray, because that's all part of prayer too, but for another time. This is our chance to say, Lord, be at work in my life in a fresh way.